Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. We have been making our way through the Epistle to the Ephesians, and you open a Bible app or turn with me in the Pew Bible in front of you to page 1822, you will see the text that we will be looking at uh, today. Paul has been making a logical, progressive argument about how the Christian life is to be lived, and what it actually means to be a Christian. Let me read for you our text for today. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, do not, the let, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no uncorrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building us up as fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Paul here is comparing and contrasting two types of people. As we saw a few weeks ago, those two types of people earlier in this chapter are are called those who walk as Gentiles. And then he says there is another type of person that has learned Christ. And so there are two types of Christians, those who walk and live as if they are not redeemed. They walk and live like a Gentile. And a Gentile is someone who is motivated by their passions, by their lusts, and is controlled by them and does whatever they want to feed those passions and lusts. Those who have learned Christ are those who pursue love and love as seen as loving God and loving your neighbor. Here Paul uses a very interesting word. And in verse 25 we see that word. Therefore, putting away all falsehood. The word there is pseudo. We've, we've heard that word. Uh, it means something that is phony 
or something that is putting on a mask or some, something that is in a disguise or something that is saying one thing but acting another way. And so Paul is teaching here that there is a pseudo-self and then there is the self that each Christian has that we can say is in Christ. There's the pseudo-self and there's the self that is in Christ. There's the pseudo-person and there is the person who is in Christ. Neither one of these people are perfect. The person who attempts to live in Christ stumbles and falls, but they immediately go back to Christ for forgiveness, and they're attempting, attempting to lead a Christian life. The pseudo-self, or the pseudo-Christian, is the Christian who comes to church on Sundays, but then on Monday through Friday, or Monday through Saturday, none of their family see Christ in him, none of their co-workers see Christ in him, He lives and acts and thinks like the world. I met a Christian one time who was this pseudo-self, pseudo-Christian. And he was in sales. And he was a very unethical salesman. Yet he was in church every Sunday. He didn't struggle with the ethics. He just dealt with people like any other worldly salesman would. He was out to make the most money for himself, irregardless of how that affected the person he was selling to. It wasn't his objective to honor the buyer and then make a little money for himself. It was to get as much money out of that person's pocket as much as he could. And so the pseudo-self, notice with me, no longer speaks truth to his neighbor. He sees himself as a sole individual in island, always seeking to help himself. Not realizing that each Christian, Paul says, is a member of one another. When a person becomes a Christian, they are part of the body of Christ. They are linked through spiritual fiber to each other. And the pseudo-self doesn't recognize and doesn't care about that spiritual fiber that links him to other brothers and sisters in Christ. The pseudo-self doesn't struggle with the truth. They're always looking for ways to fudge. They're always looking for a place to hide their feelings. And they're always looking for a way to be shady. And they never really develop deep relationships. They're living a lie they're, and because they are not being honest about who they are. They're living a lie, and so they think others are lying. They don't trust others because they, they know that they are not being trustworthy. A pseudo-self uses the truth to hurt other people. 
A pseudo-self uses lies to help themselves. As I was preparing for my sermon today, as many of you know, uh, I served in the Presbyterian Church for a number of years. And the Presbyterians have the most precise doctrine of any other church except maybe the Roman Catholic Church. And in what they call their larger catechism, uh, question 144, what are the duties of the ninth commandment? Or we could say, what are the duties of not bearing fit false witness against your neighbor? What, is, what are the duties of those who are truth tellers, in other words? So follow along with me. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between each person and the good name of your neighbor as well as your own, appearing and standing for the truth from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever. Having a charitable opinion about your neighbor, loving, desiring, rejoicing in the good of their, of their name. And notice this, covering their infirmities. Fulfilling the ninth commandment, being a truth teller, is to cover the infirmities of your neighbor. Many times people use the truth to wound other people. That's what a pseudo-self does. But fulfilling the ninth commandment, not bearing false witness, is actually covering, ignoring your, your neighbor's infirmities, defending their innocency, receiving a good report, and being unwilling to admit evil. That's what a truth teller does. They're always looking for the truth. They, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, they don't keep a list of wrongs. They believe all things, hear all things, love all things. And fundamentally, a person who is a pseudo-person is constantly protecting and promoting themselves. Notice what, he's, what, what Paul says as we go along. He tells his listeners that they should speak the truth to their neighbor, for we are all members of each other. Why do we speak the truth? We speak the truth so that there can be harmony and unity between us. We don't promote and nag and tear down our spouses, our children, our loved ones. We see that I am frail, I am a sinner, I am a recipient of God's grace. And so as Paul says at the end of this chapter... Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the forgiveness that I have received 
is now the motivator for me to forgive others. So I don't hold a grudge because God has not held a grudge against me. I love people who are difficult to love because I am a person who is difficult to love. I try to be kind to other people because God has been kind to me. I pursue those who have hurt me because God pursued me. I don't let bitterness build up because God has never been bitter with me. So the relationship that God has had towards me, I then use that as a model for my relationships with other people. That is a Christ person, a Christ-centered person, a person who knows Christ, loves Christ. But a pseudo-person does the opposite. Let's look at two examples. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, one of my favorite tools to use against family members is is anger and holding a grudge. Because it, it controls the other person. I can use that to manipulate the people around me. I get angry. They're upset that I'm angry at them. And so I will delay forgiveness. If you haven't noticed, I'm a sinner. But Paul says don't do that. We can be angry, but we should not sin in our anger. And when there is anger, if I'm projecting anger or anger is projected at me, we should not let the sun go down on that anger. And this is a promise that my wife and I made when we were dating. When we knew we were getting married, we made this promise to each other that I was not going to go to sleep until we dealt with the problem. Until I forgave her or she forgave me. She's been doing most of the forgiving these 29 years. Notice how anger can be used to hurt the other person Paul isn't saying anger is wrong. Jesus got angry. He was angry when he saw the money changers in the temple and he went in with the big stick and he kicked them out. Anger can be good. We should be angry over unrighteous things, over unjust things. But most of the time we're angry because we've been offended. Our agenda has been pushed aside. Anger about Christ's agenda is okay. But anger about selfish things is not okay. And holding on to anger is a way to hurt another person. And Paul's motive here is the second great commandment, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Secondly, let's look at verse 28. Let the thief steal no more. Or let the thief no longer steal. It's interesting. Paul is addressing people in the church of Ephesus who have a problem with stealing. He didn't kick them out. 
He's addressing their core issue. He doesn't say kick the thief out. He addresses the thief and he teaches the thief that stealing is wrong and he should rather let them labor and do honest work with his own hands. In, uh, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians, the Bible teaches us if we don't work, we don't eat. And that is a rule within the Malone family. My father lived by that rule. He made us live by that rule. That rule is a rule within our home. No worky, no eaty. But notice why you work. And this is a huge truth that I think our American culture has either forgotten or lost. Let the the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. Why? Why do you want to do honest work with your hands? So that you can be secure in the future? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Paul is getting at here. We work with our hands so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, when you think about your work and your career, why you get up tomorrow morning, why you punch the clock, why you're going to college, the things you're thinking about for the future, are you doing that so that you can prosper and have enough to share? Paul says that's why we work. That is not why Americans work. We share because there are needy people and we work so that we can share. That is radical. That's what we call solidarity. That we look at the needy person as someone I can help. We don't look at them as if they're the other and they're just there because they made a mess of their lives. Maybe they did make a mess of their lives. But people that make a mess of their lives fill churches around the world. And Paul doesn't say kick them out. Paul says repent and do the thing that you should be doing. For the thief, you need to work and stop stealing. Why? So that you can help One another. Because as Paul says earlier, because we are linked to one another. We are members of one another. Your gifts and abilities are here in this room because someone else in this room needs those gifts and abilities. You are important to the mission of God. You have gifts that that no one else in this room may have. And the reason you're here is so that you can share those gifts with one another. As we put on the new self, as we put on Christ, we're always looking around, looking to help, looking to love. And as Paul says in verse 32, this is a radical verse. Imagine if members of Congress... Imagine if our president lived by verse 32. 
He is the best Christian, by the way. He's told us. And the best Christians are kind to one another, tender-hearted with one another, not plastering things all over the Internet when we're hurt, but forgiving one another. Why? Because the best Christians, they know that they are a mess and they need Christ and the forgiveness that is found through him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.